God, we invite you to speak to us this morning and in through your word. God, we got good things, uh, rich things from your word today to learn and to experience and know. And so uh, we ask that you would open our spiritual eyes, open our spiritual ears to, to, to taste and see, to know and experience that you are good this morning. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, listen, we, we've got a lot to get through this morning, and you, you might be thinking, wow, I, I think we do a lot every week, but we do have a lot to get through this morning. So we're going to kind of hit the ground running. We're going to do a quick review of last week because we launched into our five-week series called The Crown, where we're talking about the kingdom of God. We did that last Sunday, Easter Sunday, and we established two things. First, that Jesus lived, died, and rose again in order to inaugurate a kingdom. Jesus came to become or to be king, to inaugurate a kingdom. The second thing we established last week is that Jesus indeed accomplished his purposes because he defeated all of his adversaries. We talked about three of them last week, pride, shame, and death. And the great news is for you and I is that those are our greatest adversaries as well. So we benefit from Jesus' victory on this planet because he defeated the adversaries that we could not defeat. Jesus came to become king. And so here's what we're going to do today. We're going to take a look, start to take a look at some of the implications that God's kingdom has for our lives and for the world around us. And today we're going to talk about kind of a particular aspect of God's kingdom that we don't often think about. And that aspect of God's kingdom is Creation. Creation. And, and what I hope to show you is that God's kingdom plan, his restorative work as king, includes the physical world of which you and I are a part. And, and some of you are going to think, wow, I, I did not know that. I didn't know that God's kingdom includes creation, includes this physical world. That's really good news. And I would affirm that. Yes, it is really great news that God's restorative work and his kingdom plan includes the physical world around us. And we're going to spend time in two passages today, Romans 8, which we'll get to in a little while. But for now, we're going to be in this uh, creation story in Genesis chapters. 1 through 3. And it's interesting because in the original Hebrew, which your Bible was written in your Old Testament anyway, God's creation story in Genesis 1 reads rhythmically. It almost reads like a song, interestingly enough, Genesis 1 does. And, and in terms of form, Genesis 1, in terms of kind of arrangement, Genesis 1 is a lot like a lot of the songs we sing around here. It's got an intro, and then it's got a verse, and then a chorus, and then a verse, and then a chorus, and then a verse, and a chorus, and so on and so, fo so forth. And then it's got kind of a big chorus to finish. So, so listen close now. Genesis 1, in Genesis 1, the eternal triune God, out of the overflow of his own joy and fellowship and contentment in and with himself, composes a creation symphony. In Genesis chapter 1. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to use that metaphor of a creation symphony or of a, of a song to understand what God is doing when he creates in Genesis 1. And here's how we're going to cover Genesis 1. I'm going to tell you the chorus or I'm going to tell you the verses of God's creation song and then you're responsible for the chorus. You don't have to sing it so don't panic. You just have to speak it. And here's the chorus of God's creation song. It's up here on the screen. The chorus is, it was good. 
It was good. That's the chorus that gets repeated throughout Genesis 1. So repeat after me. It was good. One more time. It was good. Perfect. You sound great. I'm glad you're not singing it, by the way. Okay, so, so watch me, because when I point to you, you've got to be ready with that chorus. All right? You got it? Good. So let, let's listen to God's creation song together, recorded in Genesis 1. Here's the introduction. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters, or the face of the waters. That's a nice little song intro there. Like, in the beginning is like the keyboard fade in, you know? And, and then, and then uh, God created can kind of be our piano. And then what about that phrase, without form and void? Drums. Drums are without form and void, so we're going to assign that to the drums, okay? So let's keep going. In the song's first verse, God creates light and separates light from darkness, and then our chorus appears for the first time in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. Say it with me now. It was good. Verse 2, God creates the heavens and the earth, and the Bible sings that chorus again. In verse 10, say it. In the third verse, God creates vegetation on the earth. And then the chorus again. Come on. Verse 4 of God's creation song. He speaks the sun, moon, and stars into existence and saw that what? There, there you go. Verse 5, God creates birds and fish. And then God creates livestock and beasts on the earth. And, and then in the last verse, the, the kind of the pinnacle verse of God's creation song, God creates man. But a normal chorus can't follow that final verse. So God changes his chorus up a little bit in verse 31 as that creation song concludes and he closes the song with a bang. The closing chorus of God's creation song is this. It was very good. Closes it a little differently, doesn't he? And that word good in Hebrew is, is the word tov. And it kind of has a much richer meaning in the original language than we use the word good today. You know, we talk about good today like, mmm, these Cheetos are good. That's not, that's not what God is talking about there. It means beautiful. It means aesthetically or morally satisfying. It means joyful and pleasant and complete. So our composer, God has written a beautiful symphony called Creation. And he establishes harmony and unity in creation, and he keeps returning to that chorus in Genesis 1. And we said it as many times as Genesis 1 repeats it. I didn't add any extra in there. It was good. And then God creates for himself a conductor, and he names him Adam. And he says to Adam, here's how the symphony goes. Here's the rhythm. Here's the sheet music. Now you conduct it and take joy in it. And both the conductor and the composer found beauty and gladness and joy and contentment in God's perfect symphony. And the great composer, that's God, gave the great conductor, that's man, instruments in his symphony. In other words, out of the overflow of his goodness, God gave man a number of gifts within creation that were designed in part to bring man pleasure. And here's our first point this morning. If you're jotting notes down, jot this down. God gave gifts that bring man pleasure. God gave gifts 
that bring man pleasure. This is not the only reason God created. Hear me on that one. It's not the only reason God created, but it's part of the reason, and it's a critical part. God, in his perfect plan, concluded that he would get glory by creating a world that brought us pleasure and joy. Isn't that cool? I mean, that's pretty cool. So we're going to talk about four of those things in Genesis 1. We're going to highlight four of those instruments, four of those things that, that God gave to bring man pleasure. And I just want to warn you in advance that a couple of these might blow your mind a little bit. You might think to yourself, God created that? And he created that for man's enjoyment? That was a part of God's original design? And yes, It was. That will be the answer. So let's start with this first gift that God gives man. This is kind of an easy one. Relationships. Relationships. The Bible has repeated this chorus, it was good, it was good, over and over and over. Pop quiz, when's the first time that the Bible says it was not good? Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. It is not good for man to be alone. And you women in the room are thinking, look, I did not need God to tell me that, right? That it's not good to leave man alone. Men of God, think about all that, like, if you think about the dumbest stuff you've ever done in your life, it's usually in the absence of women, isn't it? It's like, I was living with a bunch of guys in a house in university when I was 20 years old, and we used to light fires all the time. Like, me and my buddy, we, we were living in a house together, and we, we had mold in our bathroom, so we painted over it. Dumb stuff that man does when he's alone. I didn't need God to tell me that. So God created woman as a perfect helpmate and a perfect companion for man. In other words, God included relationships in his perfect design that give man pleasure, specifically male-female relationships. Number two, number two, God included food in his original design to give man pleasure. This is one aspect of God's creative handiwork that we forget sometimes. Did you know that God created food? Look at verse 16. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden. Get this now. God didn't just provide a way for man to get nourishment. He didn't just say, Hook up to this IV or take this pill. And he didn't just create one tree in the garden that produced one kind of food, and he didn't just suggest it. He commanded man to eat of what? Every tree in the garden. He said, look, I created variety and taste. Now enjoy it. That's pretty cool. Number three, a gift that God gave man to bring him pleasure is work. Work was a featured instrument in God's perfect creation song, and it was designed to give man pleasure. Genesis 2, 15 says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. God gave man a job, and that job was designed to bring joy. It's like that feeling you get after the end of a long day's work. You know what that that feeling of satisfaction? God created that. Satisfying work was a piece of God's created order. One final piece of God's perfect world, an aspect of his creative symphony that we aren't quite sure what to do with most of the time, but he did create it, and he did create it for man's enjoyment and pleasure, and that's sex. Genesis 1 verse 28 says uh, that God placed man and woman in that perfect, aesthetically pleasing world, and he commanded them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. 
So we're, we're going to keep it PG this morning for everybody, but, but I want you to know that that word multiply does not mean discipleship, okay? That's not what that is. Essentially, God says to man and woman, have sex and make babies, to which man responds, yes, best command ever, right? And God makes it really, really easy for them because Genesis 2 verse 25 says they were both naked. Now, most of us don't necessarily think about this one, but God created sex. Sex was God's invention. And, side note, he knows how it works best. Fifty shades of squat, God invented it. And he knows how it works. Sex was pre-sin and pre-fall and part of God's original design. So here's what we see in God's creation song of Genesis 1. We see a perfect, beautiful, and even pleasing physical world. God creates a world in which man and woman have perfect communion with him and with one another. God creates work that isn't burdensome but brings joy and satisfaction. God creates food for nourishment and pleasure. God creates sex for procreation and enjoyment. God's world was perfect. So I want to pause here and talk about this one because I think it's critical. I see so many Christians look at the physical world around them, and they have one of two reactions a lot of times. Not all the time, but a lot of times. Both of them are unbiblical reactions, by the way, to the physical world around us. The first reaction we can have to kind of the physical world around us is that we reject it and say that it's, it's bad and it's wrong and, and I'm not going to get any kind of pleasure from this physical world around me. The first century church had people that believed the same thing, believe it or not. They were called Gnostics. They believed that the material world was bad and the spiritual world was good. And I see modern day Gnostics walking around all the time acting like God has charged us to be monks. And they deprive themselves of any pleasure or joy that God's creation might bring. But but that wasn't God's original intent from the very beginning. He designed us to find pleasure and joy in his good gifts. So this idea that God is somehow pleased when we like deprive ourselves of good food or good sex or satisfying work or awesome friendships simply isn't a biblical idea. That's not how God designed us. The second reaction I see Christians have sometimes is that they kind of tend to separate the physical world from the spiritual world. They say my, my, my physical life is different than my spiritual life, and they kind of divorce those two. And if my spiritual self has nothing to do with my physical self, it allows me to do all kinds of things that I shouldn't be doing, doesn't it? Like indulge in food, sex, work, and relationships. Or it allows me to not enjoy those things within the boundaries, within the limits that God has set up. Or even worse, we begin to worship gifts rather than the giver. And that was God's intent, that we would worship the giver, capital G, the composer, capital C. So what is the appropriate response to those good gifts that God has given us in creation? Let's say it this way this morning. We are to enjoy God's gifts within God's limits so that we may give God glory. We were designed to enjoy God's gifts within God's limits so that we could give God glory. Here's the deal. Take joy in the good gifts that God has given, but do it within the boundaries that God has set up. Sex, enjoy it. 
within the confines of marriage. That's how God designed it. Relationships, enjoy them, but don't misplace your worship. Work, do it. Find satisfaction in it. God designed you that way, but don't let it be your master. Food, eat it and enjoy it. If, side note, if you ate it in your car, it's not good food, okay? That's just, that's, if you had to drive through somewhere to get it, okay? No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, like, good food, real food. But do it, enjoy it within God's established boundaries. And imagine this. This is, this is unbelievable to me. When we enjoy God's gifts within God's limits, we're actually giving God glory. Can you believe that? This is not a heavy-handed God. This is a gracious God that gives us good gifts to enjoy within his limits, and he gets glory. That's pretty awesome. So the next time I put a steak on the grill, I'm going to think, oh, glory to God. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty cool stuff. When you're laughing with friends, when you're on a snowboard on the top of a hill, when you're arranging flowers, when you're at work doing your job, when you're fishing at the cottage, when you cook and eat a great dinner, better yet, when someone cooks dinner for you, when you ride a bike or go for a run or feel the grass under your toes, in all these things, you can find pleasure in God's great gifts within God's established limits and in the process, give God great glory. That's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but the world we live in is far from perfect, isn't it? I don't know uh, that you'd watch the news and find words like joy and beauty and harmony coming to mind. Our world is busted. It's, it's broken. Whether the evil of mankind is on display in a Kenyan university or natural disasters or abuse or neglect or whatever, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to get that the world is busted up. And interestingly enough, that brokenness in our world often works itself out in the way we enjoy God's good gifts, doesn't it? In our view of sex, I mean, I don't have a time in, in a sermon to, to talk about how warped our world's view of sex is. Or food or work or relationships or whatever. Those things can often be the place that we see our busted up world at work. So, so here's my question. Why is that? If God created the world perfect, if God created the world and it was good and it was even very good, why is it so jacked up? Well, here's, here's where the biblical worldview plays a trump card on every other worldview, including other religious worldviews. Because the Bible, the biblical worldview, actually accounts for why our world is so messed up. Look at Genesis 3. It's up here on the screen. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Did God say that? No. He said, Eat of every tree but one. He gave them variety, but the serpent lied to him. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it. God didn't say that either. She got that wrong. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, 
And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They hid from God. And God comes along and goes, what's going on? What are you doing? What did you do? How, what, what happened with the fruit thing? Explain it to me. And everybody in the creation story starts to blame everybody else. Man said, well, I didn't eat it. It's that woman you gave me. And the woman said, well, it wasn't my fault. It was the serpent's fault. And everybody starts to throw everybody else under the bus. God's creative symphony was harmonious. It was unified and it was beautiful. But the conductor in a symphony wandered off. The conductor rejected the composer's sheet music. Pop quiz for those of you who play in orchestras. When the conductor wanders off, Tim, what happens? Chaos. It's bad. It's absolute chaos. Let's read about it in Genesis 3. The Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. And on your belly you shall go. It was once this way, now it's going to be this way. I will, and, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I'll put enmity between you and the woman. That wasn't there before. And between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat breath till bread till you return to the ground and here's the big one for out of it you were taken for you are dust and till dust you will return. You're going to die one day now. So, so we don't have time to unpack all those consequences one by one, but here's what you just heard. The symphony conductor, that's man, wandered off and went and did his own thing and rejected the sheet music that the master composer, that's God, had provided for him. So when man stopped living within those boundaries that God had established, chaos ensued. God's design got busted. There was an order. There was a cosmic order put together in harmony and unity. And when man wandered off, when the, great, when the conductor wandered off and rejected the great composer, there was a fracture. Something broke. Something busted in the cosmic order. And what grew out of that break was dysfunctionality in the relationships that God had given. Work became a burden. Childbirth became painful. Enmity and violence that didn't exist before became the norm. And the big one, death, physical, spiritual, and eternal, it did not exist before this moment. Our physical bodies that were made perfectly and had a really long shelf life, by the way, would now get cancer, and they would get infected, and we would have hip pain and knee pain. And God's perfect symphony, his beautifully created order, was wrecked, infected, and chaotic. Now, parents, let's say that your child came to you and said, Mommy, Daddy, whichever one you are, I cut my finger, and I think it's infected. What would you do? Would you say to your child, wow, that's a bummer for you. That infection is probably going to grow into your hand and then into your arm and then to your internal organs and it's going to kill you. But no worries. We'll just have another kid and see how that goes for us. What would you like for lunch? You know, that's not how you treat your kid, right? 
You'd be a horrible parent if you did that. And God doesn't do that either. God loves his creation, and he designed it just so. Remember, it was what? Good. And he created us, and he gave us this world for our enjoyment. You think he's going to let that infection, that fracture, run its course and then just start over again? No. He institutes a plan for complete restoration and redemption. That plan began with the inauguration of God's kingdom in Christ. And creation itself is on pins and needles until that plan is completed. Let's look at the way Paul says it in Romans 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 19. If you've got your Bibles, you can open them up to Romans 8. If not, it's up here on the screen. This is how Paul talks about creation, waiting on God's design, waiting on God's plan to be restored to original intent, for, for his kingdom restoration project to come to completion, to, to come to consummation. Verse 19, Paul says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. That phrase, it's interesting, that phrase waits with eager longing is literally a picture of an outstretched neck. Creation, creation got its head and neck stretched out, waiting on God to return. I, I picture when I come in, in the room in, in the morning to get Kaya out of bed, or if I come in the room and get her out of bed uh, for a nap or something, she's got her neck stretched out just to see up over the crib because she knows I'm coming to get her. This is the picture of creation waiting with expectation on God to come and complete his kingdom project. So why does creation wait with that expectation? Keep reading, verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Did you hear those words? Corruption, bondage groaning as in the pains of childbirth. My, my favorite phrase in Romans 8, uh, 19 through 24 is, creation was subjected to futility. Remember last week when we said that God invites us to become subjects of the crown? Remember that? That's the invitation. Well, when first man and first woman rejected that invitation, they pulled creation with them. And rather than living as a subject of the crown, creation was subjected to futility. Rather than subjected to the crown, it was sub subjected to futility. That word means purposelessness, brokenness. And, and not only that, we, you and I, even our bodies... We're subjected to that futility as well. Keep reading, verse 23. Not only creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. The redemption of our what? Bodies. Redemption of our physical bodies. You see this concept, by the way, that God's in the business of saving souls? That's not really biblical if you understand the soul as some kind of disembodied spirit or consciousness thing or, or whatever. Okay? God's in the business of redeeming and restoring his entire creation, including the bodies we live in. 
Because decay and sickness and disease and death, they entered the picture when God's perfect design was wrecked, when it was turned upside down. The whole thing broke and fractured, and God is going to fix it. And so what do we do in the process? Waiting on God's kingdom restoration plan to be completed. Keep reading. For in this hope, that's verse 24, we were saved. That word hope is not like, like wish. Like, like I wish it's not going to snow in April, right? Or I wish we didn't have the February we just had. It's, it's not that kind of a thing. It's a confident expectation that will inevitably, inevitably occur. So remember, Paul just talked about the redemption of our bodies, the restoration of God's created world, and he says this, for in this hope or in this confident expectation, we were saved. That expectation is that God's going to restore, renew, and redeem. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. In other words, we do not yet see God's restored world. We observe it and engage with it in a different way than how God intended it. It's broken. It's fractured. But we were saved for this hope that God's going to restore it and redeem it and set it right. And so we wait for it with patience. I want to offer two kind of final points of application as we close here this morning of what we do while we wait for God to bring all creation back under the authority of the crown. It's, it's broken, it's rebelled, it's fractured. What do we do while we wait on God to restore it to its original intent? First one is this. When the world is wrong, name it. When the world is wrong, when something in the world is broken and fractured, when it's outside of God's design or intention, Call a spade a spade. Call it what it is. I've got a friend uh, back in Phoenix right now. Um, she, uh, she and her husband, who uh, Amy and I played at their wedding, uh, they had a baby in September, and they haven't left the hospital yet. And they don't know. Now, look, I, I just want to tell you that it, it, this is, this is what, not what the Bible teaches. Well, well clearly, they, they, they sinned. It's because of their sin that they're getting this punishment from God. That is absolutely not Biblical. That's not what the Bible teaches. Everybody nod your head and understand. Keep going, okay? But when stuff like that happens, what we have to do as Christians is we say, that's not how God put it together. But when we sinned, when the great conduct, or when the conductor walked away from the great composer's sheet music and started to do his own thing, when man thought he would make a better God than God, when man thought he would make a better sovereign than the actual capital S sovereign, creation broke. God's intended order fractured. And so when we see that kind of stuff happen, we just have to put our finger on it and say, the world is busted. That's not God doing that. That's brokenness doing that. And God can redeem it, and God can restore it, and God can indeed use all things and work all things to, to the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's right after that in Romans 8, 28. But in the meantime, it's just helpful for us to put our finger on it and say, that's busted. But when the world is right, when we see something good, 
Praise God for it. Praise God for it. Allow those moments to point you towards the one who wears the crown. Did anybody go outside yesterday? Did you go outside? I spent most of the day inside, and my, my wife went out for a couple hours in the afternoon. I was watching Kaya. And then I, I walked outside at like 3.15 or something like that, and I thought, why have I been inside all day? This is, it was fantastic weather yesterday. It was beautiful outside. And even as I'm thinking about this message, I'm going, God, you get praise for this. You get glory for this, for the sun on my face, for the, for the cool air and not biting, you know, not take your breath away kind of cold. You know, it was at a point yesterday where I was like, I, I need, I'm going to put on shorts and suntan lotion. That's, that's, how, uh, that's how Canadian I am now, right? <laughs> just will it, just will it to come, right? But when you experience things like that, when, again, when, when, you're, when you're out for a run or when you're enjoying dinner with friends, praise God for it. That's how he created his perfect world. And we see glimpses of that. We see pockets of that. We get experiences of that. Don't let those things pass you by and act like your spiritual life and your physical life are, 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 are divorced and, 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 and different pockets and compartmentalized. Say, God, you gave me this great gift, and I give you praise and glory today because this is part of how you originally created your world. I'm seeing a glimpse of it now. That's pretty amazing. Last one is this. Do what you can to move wrong to right. Do what you can to move wrong to right, to make wrong things right. I want to tell you two quick stories, and, and, and then we'll be done. Just two ways that I've seen this kind of principle work its way out in my life even lately. Because, because here's the thing. A lot of times, uh, in God's kingdom restoration plan, the world is fractured. Uh, when God kind of takes back territory for the sake of his kingdom and for the sake of his glory, it means that someone else had that territory for a time, doesn't it? If God's taking it back, he's taking it back from something. He's taking it back from someone. It's broken. It's fractured. It's not how it's supposed to work. So we got a guy in our congregation, as a matter of fact. He, um, he's in-stage kidney failure. He's been on dialysis for the last you know, three or four years, you know, 15 hours a day, carrying a bag around all the time. And he's here uh, every Sunday, sits in the exact same place every single Sunday. And... You know, we prayed over him as elders, and we've prayed for him as a church, and, and nothing seems to change, and nothing seems to happen. And he, he met Jesus personally uh, last year for the first time and has been here, like I said, every single week, he and his family and his kids. And it's been, you know, heartbreaking to watch because, like I said, the, that's not how the body was designed. That's, that's a result of our fractured world, the fractured cosmic cosmos that we live in. And so we've named it. We said that's not how it's supposed to go, but God can use this. God can redeem this. And so on Good Friday, um, just as we're about to start the service, I actually came up here on platform. And uh, he and his wife are always early. Learn a lesson, some of you. He and his wife are always early. And uh, they're sitting in the same place. And so we're just about to start the service. And, and he and his wife get up and walk outside. And I see him on the phone. And I'm going, man, come on. We're start it's a Good Friday service. Get off the phone. Like, it's, you know, we're about to start worship here. And they didn't show back up after, after Good Friday service. So somebody came up to me afterwards and said, hey, uh, Poof, that's his name, Poof, got a call right before the Good Friday service. They have a kidney for him, so he's going to go get a transplant. 
And I said, oh, wow, I'm a jerk um, for judging him. So, so, so Poove on Friday afternoon went and got a kidney transplant. So that's... So, so, you, so you see, we, we have this opportunity to participate with people, to come alongside, to pray, and to watch as much as we can God move wrong to right. God restore his kingdom to its original intent. We see pockets, and when we see them, we give God glory for it. We give him praise, and we give him honor for it. I actually talked to, I talked to Poove this morning on text. I think he's coming to the second service. I'm not kidding. He got a kidney transplant last Friday, and he's intending to come to the second service today. So some of you, again, who miss church because you're tired, did you get a transplant? No. <laughs> so you need to be here, okay? That's the thing. And, and when we see these little moments, when we see these pockets, when we see God pull back the veil a little bit and see his created order kind of, kind of God go, mm-mm, boom. No, that's not how, and, and he makes wrong right, and we can participate and come alongside and, and, and do that with him, be a part of his kingdom work. That's pretty cool. Another opportunity, I've seen this in my own life recently, is through the adoption of our little girl. I, I don't need to tell you, but, um, you know, the reason that parents place for adoption, they place their children, is not because they have a whole lot of resources and a whole lot of support. And that's, that's not any different in our case. Uh, but but we took this little baby home and we love her so much and 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 even though it's not exactly what God des- designed in terms of you know all the kind of craziness and chaos and things that are happening we, we went down and 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 adopted her and and we took her birth parents uh, to church and they both came to Christ while we were down in Florida adopting our little girl we, we talked to them on a very regular basis in fact Amy talks to Kaya's birth mom almost daily we see God doing redemptive work when his created order was, was turned upside down, we can do what we can to move wrong to right and participate in, in, in God's kingdom restoration project and go, ah, the cosmic order is fractured, it's broken, we name it, but then we come alongside and turn it on its head and be participating in God's kingdom restoration project. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. The Bible calls it ministers of reconciliation. And that's what we're charged with to do that in the world around us. I asked Melissa to close with a song that I um, will I, I'll hopefully be okay during the benediction, but I sing this to Kaya every night. It goes like this. This is my father's world. And to my listening ears, all nature sings and round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my father's world. It concludes this way. Why should my heart be sad? The Lord is king. Let the heavens reign. God reigns. Let the earth be glad. Let's declare together that this is our father's world and that he is king over creation. Pray with me. God, we love you. We praise you give you thanks and glory for the way that you created us and the way that you designed us and this creation that you gave us, this world that you gave us that gives us pleasure and joy and satisfaction and fulfillment. And we pray, oh God, that these gifts you've given us will always point us to the great giver. 
that our worship wouldn't be misplaced. That when we see things in the world around us that are fractured and broken and not how you design them, that, that we would just put our finger on it and say, yeah, that, that's broken. And then when we see things that are right, that, 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 that we see your face and, and your design and your fingerprints, that we would praise you in that process. And God, we would do whatever we can to watch wrong move to right. We praise you and we sing together now. In the name of Christ, God's people said, Amen. Hey, let's stand together and give praise to our Heavenly Father.